0: Greetings in our Lord Jesus Christ, and welcome to the audio ministry of Christ Church of Livingston County. The following are three excerpts from a Covenant Renewal worship service led by Pastor Dirk DeWinkle, teaching elder at Christ Church. We trust you will be edified and ministered to by the Holy Spirit through this audio recording.
1: Our call to confession this morning is from Proverbs. Chapter 26, verses 17 and, oh, sorry, verses 18 and 19. Like a madman who throws firebrands, arrows, and death, is the man who deceives his neighbor and says, I was only joking. This proverb has an important lesson for the realm of humor obvious lesson here is practical joking. And don't get me wrong, sometimes we need to learn to lighten up a little bit. But there's a kind of practical joking that goes too far and it has real consequences for people. And that is not cool. You can have a lot of fun with toilet paper and saran wrap and shaving cream, but... When somebody ends up in the ER, or loses a job, or the paint job on their car is destroyed, it's too much. And this is a lesson that frequently high school kids and college kids need to learn. There's another kind of humor that makes fun of people. There are whole genres of these kinds of jokes, fat jokes, yo mama jokes, poor jokes, etc And they're funny because they make surprising connections or observations about reality. Again, helping people to see the funny side of reality is not bad as long as you're not demeaning your audience or a bystander. Laugh with them, not at them. This means that righteous comedians must use wisdom and perceive their audience and pick up on their cues. If people start getting hurt, the joke isn't funny anymore. In fact, it's not a joke at all. It's time to stop and even seek forgiveness or make restitution. This proverb has another lesson for life. It highlights the destructive nature of lies. Notice how the man who deceives his neighbor cannot be trusted. Not only can he not be trusted in the first place because he deceives his neighbor, he also sets up a roadblock to the restoration of peace and community by deflecting confrontation, as if I was only joking was a justifiable reason for the damage done to his neighbor. There are people who cover up their sin. They deny it and they bury it under more sin by lying about it. Usually this comes from a deep self-deception. This so-called neighbor is deceived. He or she thinks that whatever they did was okay because of what they tell themselves their motives were. Perhaps they won't or can't believe they are capable of doing what they are accused of because it is really, really bad. So they make up a new reality for themselves and insist on it. This is the definition of madness. No wonder Solomon compares them to madmen. On the fly, they can come up with what they really meant, or what they really said. And if there's no avoiding the truth, then they say, I was only joking. Can't you take a joke and put the burden on those who are hurt? Solomon does not pull any punches. He observes, he knows, and he declares for us that this is deadly. It is a height of pride, and it can tear people and relationships up. What do you do with a madman who throws firebrands, arrows, and death? You avoid him at all costs, because there is no peace or safety if you are within range. That is what happens when you destroy trust with deceit and lies. And here is where we are called to repentance. We are masters of deceit. The human heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked, so says Jeremiah 17. We are entirely capable of deceiving ourselves and violating the trust of our neighbors. And it is only through measuring ourselves against the standard of holiness delivered in God's word that we can see our way through to humility and repentance. But there we find grace, forgiveness, and and peace in our Lord Jesus Christ. So if you're willing and able, please kneel as we confess our sins to God.
0: Father
1: in heaven, we thank you for your good word thank you that you've revealed to us your will in the word. Father, we pray now that your blessing would be upon this time of study in the book of James. We pray your spirit would be present here with us to illumine the scriptures to our hearts and souls, to apply it to our lives. We pray that you would convict us and confirm your gospel for us, that you would encourage us and strengthen us, that you would call us out, and make us holy, consecrate us for your service. Father, we pray for your blessing, and we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. So we've come past the heart of the book of James. We're in chapter 4, verses 11 and 12 today. I think in many ways the central message of the book is encased in James chapter 3 verses 17 and 18. But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy, and the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. That's that's the the central message message of the book of James. He's calling the church to stop fomenting and fighting. He's calling for them to to practice this biblical wisdom, this wisdom from above. And James built up to this, and in doing so he addressed many different principles of Christian living. Uh, And I'm going to list them. That he addressed the principles of patience in adversity, of faith in the goodness of God, the principle of the hypocrisy of partiality, or the necessity of works accompanying faith, the principle of the dangers of the tongue, and the competition that heavenly wisdom endures with worldly wisdom and that's all building up to this central point here and notice the wisdom literature tone of the book right at the heart of the book he's talking about wisdom and so it makes sense that wisdom from above is the centerpiece of the book of james but the book of james is also an epistle It's like the Proverbs, it's like Ecclesiastes, but it's also a letter. And like Paul, once James has outlined the indicative, once he's told us these principles and explained to us this is what the Christian life is all about, James moves to the didactic, to the teaching, to the exhortation. He moves to applying these principles to our lives. As we observed in our message from two weeks ago on chapter 4 verses 1 through 10, James starts to take on the moniker Son of Thunder, rather handily. He accuses them of fighting and warring, of being murderers, of praying amiss, of being spiritual adulterers and friends with the world, and he exhorts them to repentance and humility. Lament and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and he will lift you up. Likewise in our text today, which follows right on the heels of those two verses, James moves to the application of his prior teaching on the dangers of the tongue with more exhortation, more instruction. Our text today is James 4 verses 11 and 12. And in it we shall see that we are prohibited from slandering one another. And the reason why is because slander is a form of wicked judging. And it brings the slanderer under the judgment of God. James 4, verses 11 and 12. Do not speak evil of one another, brethren. He who speaks evil of a brother and judges his brother speaks evil of the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is one lawgiver who is able to save and to destroy. Who are you to judge another? Before we dive into this application of the dangers of the tongue, we should briefly recount what James has already said, speaking about the dangers of the tongue. Of the tongue, And in a nutshell, it boils down to words hurt and words matter. This is what he said in chapter 1, verse 26. If anyone does not bridle his tongue, this one's religion is useless. In chapter 3, in the large section of, of James where he speaks about the tongue, I've got uh, excerpts from there. If anyone does not stumble in word, he's a perfect man, able also to bridle the whole body. See how great a forest, a little fire kindles, and the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. The tongue is so set among our members that it defiles the whole body, and it sets on fire the course of nature, and it is set on fire by hell. It is an unruly evil, full of deadly poison. With it we bless our God and Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in the similitude of God. My brethren, these things ought not to be so. So there are your principles about the tongue. But James is now interested in applying it to the church. And he opens this up with a simple command. Do not speak evil of one another, brethren. James is interested in establishing righteousness and peace. And this command simply states the requirement of righteousness. Don't slander your brother. Because the tongue is a fire, because words hurt and words matter, we must guard our tongues and be wary of the power within them. In fact, we need to be wary of the the power within our tongue for both good and evil. A little conversation can change everything. It can fix everything or it can destroy everything. In the space of a few short minutes, you can easily create a disastrous situation with your words. Or you can dissipate a rising tension among the body. God expects us to use words, He expects us to communicate. But He expects us to do so with heavenly wisdom. He expects us, expects us to build up the community. We're supposed to be a witness for Christ. We're supposed to establish the kingdom of heaven in our lives and in our world through our words and through our lives. This means that we must proclaim the gospel from the rooftops. It also means that we must refrain from destroying each other in the process. Do not speak evil of one another, brethren. How we use our words matters. Now a brief word on scale. The more intimate the scenario, the more nuance our words can have. A wife might justifiably get upset about the tone or inflection in which something was said. My wife's favorite example is, we're having spaghetti for dinner. Depending on how you say that, it could mean entirely different things. As in, we're having spaghetti for dinner? Or, we're having spaghetti for dinner! It it changes everything. It's a really intimate thing. But in print, you don't pick up on that. There's a difference in intimacy there. Another effect of scale is that things can be harder in a smaller setting. In a large church, you may be able to pick and choose which group that you're going to hang out with. Or if you have bumps in one group, you migrate to another group. In a smaller church, you're forced to work closer to those who may be quite different from you. Or you may not understand them very well. Or who are not naturally wired the way that you are. This is a, I have a disclaimer here. That doesn't mean that that's not necessarily the case in the larger setting also. It's just easier to hide from it in that larger setting. Likewise, a dispute within a tight community or in a more intimate situation has a tendency to come to a head in a much quicker way than within a, a large group. Things take time to build up pressure in a, in a, in a, in a larger But in the end, the principle is the same. The principle is peace and union, peace and unity, peace and and communion, living together in a way that glorifies God. Speaking evil is defined as speaking against. The word is katalaleo, and it means to speak against. And it has to do with slander or judging or backbiting or gossip and James in the middle saying don't speak against one another he addresses them as brethren and this points to the incongruity of the fact of slandering one another you don't speak against those you're united to that's that's incongruous and in the body of Christ we're called to speak well of one another to build one another up. We're united to one another in our baptisms, we're united to one another in the sacraments. The the, the one loaf is a symbol of the unity of the body. Just as our Lord is one, we are all members of Him, and in Him, we are all united together. So that union makes it entirely inappropriate for us to tear each other down with slander. Doing this within the community of the church is like the hand beating up the foot and the head saying, ouch, it's not good. Does not make sense? James calling the brethren to peace is not the same thing as him slandering them. Just as the same as we just came out of him calling them murderers and adulterers and sinners in the previous verses. James is not guilty here of slandering his brethren why is that it's because James teaching is that it's James teaching is doctrine it's teaching that's what it is he's writing a general epistle to the church at large and in preaching you must speak the truth plainly he said this is a principle this is a reality he says don't do that and he didn't he didn't camp out on look you're murderers and i'm writing you off he went from calling them murderers and adulterers to now he calls them brethren he's calling them to faithfulness and obedience and following jesus james is a teacher and he speaks with the authority of an apostle his job is to identify sin and in order to do that he must speak directly and clearly Because remember, what's the consequence of worldly wisdom? Confusion and every evil thing are there. So you have to call sin for what it is. You have to speak the truth plainly. And it doesn't come from babying sin. It doesn't come from mollycoddling sinners. Because that's not what Jesus does. Jesus calls it out. Hard, loving, preaching brings repentance and faith when we present jesus to his people or to the world we present the gospel and the gospel necessarily includes an offense to sin jesus is extended as both the judge the lawgiver that he speaks of in chapter in verse 12 jesus is presented as both the judge the Redeemer, and the Advocate. He's both the judge and the one who pays the penalty. He doesn't countenance sin. He doesn't put up with it. He's not okay with it. But he loves you and me. He loves us despite our sin. He loves us so much that He paid for our sin and He reaches into our lives to change us to be like Him and make us holy and perfect like Him. He loves repentant sinners and He offers them free and complete salvation at no cost to you but to let go. James just got done telling them to humble themselves in the sight of the Lord. He says, humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and He will lift you up. Now, in our text today, he's fleshing that out. He's saying, once you stop murdering, once you stop fighting and warring, now you need to stop speaking evil against one another. And then he gives us a justification, verse 11b. He who speaks evil of a brother and judges his brother speaks evil of the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. So there's your justification. And it doesn't really click for us necessarily right off the bat. It's something we need to work through because James is he's making a logical argument here. We need, we need to stick with it. We need to follow it through. Here James references the law four different times, and the law that he's talking of, that he's speaking of, is the law and the prophets, the Old Testament, the inherited scriptures of the Jews. But he makes this interesting logical argument. He equates a Christian brother with the law. He says, he who speaks evil of and judges a brother speaks evil of and judges the law. He makes that one and the same. And to James, this makes the prohibition against slander obvious. He says, if if you're judging the law, that is sacrilegious. It is sacrilegious to speak evil of and to judge God's holy law. Anybody who makes himself a judge of the law takes himself outside of the authority of the law. And so that's what makes this sin of slander so wicked. The law is good and to be obeyed. It's not to be judged. That's self-evident to James. He's like, you can't can't judge God's scriptures. That's not for you. You 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 can't do that. Another connection that James makes here is that slander is judgment. He who speaks evil judges. That's the same thing. He makes that equation for us. Because words matter, and because words hurt, applying words to people is more than just shooting the breeze. It's not harmless. It matters. When, if you speak evil, you're thinking evil. You're, you're judging in your heart. In your heart, you're, 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 you're applying a standard against somebody else, and you're, you're. In speaking evil against them, you are becoming judge, jury, and executioner. You're ostracizing them in community. You you look at what they've done, you make a judgment on it, and you proclaim it by speaking evil behind their back. You're you're not dealing with this in the biblically uh, mandated way, which we'll get to in a little bit. So speaking evil is than judging. It's it's thinking evil. Because the words that come out of our mouths, Jesus tells us, they are overflow from our hearts. What comes out of the mouth is what reveals what's in our hearts. Interestingly enough, this definition of speaking evil is thinking evil is diametrically opposed to the definition that Paul gives us for love in 1 Corinthians 13. There Paul tells us that love is that love thinks no evil. And this again ties us right back to the law. For the greatest and the second greatest commandments are to love God and our neighbor all the law and the prophets hang together on these two great commands so James censures these judges for their lack of humble action and their prideful words so what he's saying is well again I'll get there in a second there is one more logical connection that James makes that I didn't flesh out already how is a brother equivalent to the law How is it that he can say, he who speaks evil of and judges his brother, speaks evil of and judges the law? How is it that James can take you, or you, and make you equivalent to the law? So that if I speak evil against you, now I'm speaking evil against God's scriptures. How did he unite those two? How does speaking against and judging, how is that the same? And the answer is found in verse 12, and the answer is simply Jesus. There is one lawgiver who is able to save and to destroy. Who are you to judge another? Jesus has fulfilled the law, and Jesus is the law. He's shown us what love is and what love looks like our brethren are united to Jesus in their baptisms as they are all covenant members so when I see you or when I see you I should be seeing Jesus so if I speak evil against you then I'm speaking evil against Jesus and therefore I'm speaking evil against the law you bear his name and and he bears you if Jesus speaks for you how dare I speak against you who do I think I am? Because we all stand Coram Deo. That's Latin for before the face of God. I was looking that up in preparation for this. And there's a, a great essay online about this. From, I think it's from Ligonier Ministries. And basically, standing Coram Deo is shorthand for what the Christian life is all about. What is the Christian life all about? It's a declaration that every man stands before the face of God. Every man lives before the face of God. And Jesus is King, Jesus is Judge, and Jesus rules over heaven and earth. We stand before the lawgiver. Who is the judge? And because we stand before him, we must humble ourselves in his ourselves in his sight. So in essence, James' argument amounts to this. You must not slander your brother because God is God and you are not. You may not. You may not speak evil of those he speaks well of. Those who gossip those who slander, those who tear down their brothers and sisters. It's easy for them to consider themselves as defenders of the faith. They're standing up for what's true, what's right. Their accusations have truth in them in the sense of they're quoting scripture. Well, look, at that person is, is this or that person is that. And what they are is some sin that the Bible depicts. The, the the one who speaks evil, the one who judges, feels justified in his judgment. They, they think of themselves as defenders of the faith. As, they think of themselves as righteous and good. They think of themselves as better than the person they are slandering. They are people who are protecting the flock against wolves. But James says, knock it off. Knock it off. It's not your place to judge your brother. It's not your place to think evil of him. It's not your place to speak evil of him. You don't know the details and it's none of your business anyway. What the scripture says is that we are to owe no man nothing except to love. Everyone. One of my favorite verses is 1 Thessalonians 4 verse 11. And that's where we're commanded to mind our own business. Paul's speaking to the Thessalonians. He's saying, don't be busybodies. He says, work with your own hands. Aspire to lead a quiet life and mind your own business. Think about the glory of the Christian community where everybody's focused on minding their own business and becoming more righteous and holy and loving their neighbors. God, I need to make this disclaimer. I'm talking about not judging. And sometimes sin happens in the church. I know, it's bad. And and there, the sin must be dealt with. The church is a holy place. We're called to be a holy people. But God provides for us the way of obtaining justice within the body of the church. Sin happens, and it needs to be addressed and dealt with. But that's why God gave to us Matthew 18. He says, go to your brother directly. And then, if he won't listen to you, go with a witness to your brother. And if you won your brother, praise the Lord. If he still won't listen, then bring him to the church, bring him to the, the elders, to, the, to the, the, the leaders. And and then, if he won't listen to the church, then let him be to you as an unbeliever and a tax collector. He, he is kicked out of the church. But judgment within the church is restricted by the scriptures. Calling out sin is, is restricted by the Scriptures in the manner in which it's done and in the way in which it's gone about. Galatians 6, verses 1-5. to Brethren, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, this is how it's restric- restricted. You who are spiritual, restore such a man in a spirit of gentleness. There's one restriction. Two restrictions. So you who are spiritual, how do we know you're spiritual? Well, you have the fruit of righteousness in your life. Peace. And you, you approach it with a spirit of gentleness, so your second restriction. Third, humbly considering yourself, lest you, be, you also be tempted. And fourth, with a spirit of willingness to bear his burden. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. That's the law of Christ suffering for each other's sake. And then he's got a a proscription against pride. For if anyone thinks himself to be something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. And again, mind your own business. But let each one examine his own work, and then he will have rejoicing in himself alone and not in another, for each one shall bear his own load. Before Jesus... Our focus turns inward, not to our brothers. It does not turn out. And notice the explicit lack of slander and evil speaking in this approach. It's direct, it's clear, it identifies and names sin simply and clearly, and it seeks peace and restitution and communion. God calls us to live in fellowship and peace with one another. And it means unity. We cannot go around destroying that unity and consider ourselves faithful. That's what James is saying. He's saying that our actions speak louder than our words. So you can think you're all righteous. You can think you're all holy. You can think that you're just weeding out weeds, pulling weeds in the church by talking bad about other people. But but James says, no, you are outside of the the pale of orthodoxy. You're the one who's not walking the walk or talking the talk. And what this means for the church is this. The church should be a sacred space of freedom. Within the church, we should not feel burdened or shackled by the church. We should not be afraid of what each other thinks or what other people expect of us. In the church, we have one focus and one goal, and that's to worship Jesus and fear Him who has the power over our body and over the second death. in the church we proclaim Jesus' Lordship and His judgment and because He is a loving God who displays God's love to us and His free forgiveness we should feel safe and protected in the church this is our home this is the ark this is our salvation the body of Christ Being one with him, being drawn together in him, being one with one another, serving one another, learning how to live in fellowship and communion and community with graciousness and peace and forgiveness and hope and joy. And this must be a priority for the leadership to establish in the church. It should be first and foremost. Our witness is at stake here. Evil speaking has to be confronted and stopped in its tracks. This means humility. It means patience. It means open lines of communication. And it means repentance and restitution where necessary. Remember the power of words. God sent us his salvation and his salvation was the word. Jesus has the power to save and to destroy. Just as our text says. And so we may not usurp his power or his authority by judging each other. Jesus defines us. Jesus forgives us. And he does not judge us. Instead, he speaks well of us. He defends us. He protects us even when we don't deserve it. Think of the woman accused of adultery in the Gospels. The established church comes declaring her guilt and raising a a mob and pointing to the truth of the scriptures. That an adulteress should be stoned. What do you say, Jesus? And Jesus turned all of their eyes inward, and they all hung their heads in shame and walked away. So that he could finally look up to her and say, Woman, where are your accusers? They're gone. Because Jesus brings peace and forgiveness. She stood condemned before an angry mob and Jesus dispelled the fury and called them all to repentance. Brothers and sisters, humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and he shall lift you up. Speak well of each other. Build each other up. Love each other. How shall they know we are Christians? By our love. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your gospel. We thank you that you loved us enough to calm down and truly deal with our sin. You loved us enough to make us repent of it, and turn from it, and turn to you. Father, you've given to us the power of your Spirit so that we might have hearts of flesh. And you've taken out the heart of stone. And you've given us your revelation. Father, we pray that you would humble us all before you. That you will turn our gaze inward and help us to repent of our pride, selfishness, our arrogance, and our judgmental and critical attitudes. Father, instead, fill us with hearts that love you and then love each other. Father, we pray that you will be glorified and blessed in our service of you this week. This morning we heard how we all stand before the judgment seat of God. And we all stand condemned but by the grace of God. Jesus came to earth to suffer and die so that we might be reconciled to God so that when he looks at us he sees the blood of Jesus Christ covering and removing our sin far away from us. When he judges us He sees the image of Christ, his beloved Son, who dwells within us by his Holy Spirit. Here at this table, we remember and celebrate the unity that was accomplished for us at the cross. Here we rejoice at the life that is freely offered for us and to us. And here we are strengthened to go out and to live in accordance with the gospel to love our neighbors, to build them up, and to share the good news of Christ crucified and resurrected. Don't judge the world. Save it. Deliver it as Jesus delivers you. Christ's body, broken for us. Let us pray.
0: Thank you for listening to these excerpts from the worship service of Christ Church of Livingston County. If you would like further information about anything in these messages, the Bible, about Christ Church of Livingston County, or wish to make any other related inquiry, please feel free to contact Pastor Dirk DeWingle through our website, ChristKirkMI.com That's C-H-R-I-S-T-K-I-R-K-M-I.com